I want to begin uh, by showing you a video. Not the type of video that we watch in church very often, and I've cut it down trying to get to the point that I'm trying to make, but hopefully it will all make sense. This is one of the auditions from The X Factor. Margaret's wonderful with balance. As a singer, she's got really something special to offer. I think I'm a good girl. I'll be told. You know, I've got a good boy. find it very painful to watch. Uh, I'm all for people giving things a go and I am certainly not the strongest member of Isla Gallic Choir either. <laughs> but immediately you begin to fear the worst, don't you? Margaret declares she wants to be a singer, presumably she wants to be the next Karen Carpenter. But then when she sang, she managed not to hit a single note. And the crowd kind of giggle and the judges strive to find the most diplomatic way of saying that singing's not for you. But at times it prompted a, a furious reaction, didn't it? Margaret didn't think the judges knew what they were talking about. She was sure she had a wonderful voice. She didn't take too kindly to their critique at all. And it all begs the question, how could Margaret 
possibly become so deluded? Well, in the video, you actually got the answer to that. Because Margaret had been told by her friends that she had a wonderful voice. And that message had then been resoundingly backed up by her husband. And even her singing teacher, whoever that was, assured her that she had a wonderful voice and a brilliant future ahead of her in music. And of course, all of these friends and all of these family thought they were being kind by saying such things. But actually, they were destroying her with lies. They were setting poor Margaret up for a very public fall. That video has been watched over four million times on YouTube, and it's not for uh, sympathetic reasons. And there is a proverb that speaks into it, and this is the proverb that we had today. Oh no, this isn't it's like the proverb we had today. This is Proverbs 29.5. Those who flatter their neighbours are spreading nets for their feet. Those who flatter their neighbours are spreading nets for their feet. Why do we flatter others? Perhaps it comes from the mistaken notion that we should only ever praise our friends. Maybe. But much more likely it comes from a love of ourselves. We fear being badly received. It's not love for our friends that holds us back from saying uncomfortable truths to them. It's more self-protection. And that video vividly illustrates the power of the proverb. If we only ever praise our friends and never point out their faults, we're not helping them at all. And turning that around, in life, our friends are in a better position than anybody else to see our weaknesses. And if our friends don't actively help us with our weaknesses, then they are really setting out to trap us. We will soon get ensnared in the net of self-delusion and promptly fall down. So of course friends are there to encourage. Of course friends are to inspire and build us up. But friends will also need to be candid with us. There is a truth to an old witticism of Oscar Wilde. A true friend stabs you in the front, Oscar Wilde said. Perhaps it's even better expressed by Ralph Emerson, who said, it's better to be a thorn in the side of your friend than their echo. But of course, this truth is summed up best of all by the proverb that we've got today. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. As we begin to think about this as individuals, it may be that we realise, actually, we don't have any friends who would be prepared to speak honestly and candidly to us. And rather than seeking to blame our friends for their shortcomings, we should actually start to look at ourselves because perhaps we've never been open enough with them for them to be able to do it. As a minister, the toughest pastoral situations that I've been involved in have been the ones where there have been no friends. No friends who've been allowed to get close enough to what was really going on. 
I remember vividly an older lady in London. She needed to be moved into residential care and I offered to help her. But when I arrived at her house, I was in for a shock. The house was crammed with rubbish. There was no room to move at all. There was litter and there was animal waste and there was uneaten food. There was dust, there was dirt everywhere. There was not one patch of floor that you could see to walk on. The lady had literally hoarded everything that came through her door and not let any of it go. And I cannot describe the smell of the house to you. And in the end, I was just dragging a wheelie bin into the house, filling it up, taking it outside and just hurling it into a skip. But when I went into the kitchen, not only did I find the worst sights of all, but I found the explanation. On the wall of the kitchen was an egg rack, and in the egg rack were six unused eggs. And I looked at the dates. They were six years old. What had happened six years ago to the very day her husband had died suddenly? It was grief that had done this to her. Unending grief that had turned this very prim schoolmistress into a degrading squalor of her house. And then I realised something else. That for six years, not a soul had been in her house. No one had gone around to see her. No one had got close enough to her to understand and to name and to deal with what was really going on. And sadly, the lady had no true friends. And the same can be said for all the marriage difficulties, all the temptations, all the anxieties that people wrestle with. And I've come across during my ministry, all these situations end up so much worse if we're trying to deal with them in isolation. Issues that could be addressed or at least diminished if others have been involved sooner. The great pain of a situation can be lessened if it's shared with friends. And the lesson is this. If we want to develop truly close friendships, truly candid friendships, where people can speak honestly to us about what's really going on, it can only happen if we open our lives to somebody else. The Apostle Paul said that believers should rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, but that's impossible if we don't know their mourning or if we don't know what they're rejoicing about. If we're not prepared to share our lives with others and share theirs with them. But unfortunately, I've still not told you the saddest bit about the lady in London. She was a long-standing member of the church. She went to church every Sunday without fail. Just being in the church does not automatically mean that our friendships are what they could be. I read a telling quote from a Christian counsellor this week. We live in interwoven networks of terminally casual relationships. We live with the delusion that we know one another, but we really don't. We call our easygoing, self-protective and often theologically platitudinous conversations fellowship, but they seldom ever reach the threshold of true fellowship. We know cold demographic details about one another, married or single, type of job, number of kids, general location of housing, 
but we know little about the struggle of faith that is waged every day behind well-maintained personal boundaries. One of the things that still shocks me in counselling, even after all these years, is how little I know about people, even those I call friends. I can't tell you how many times I've been talking to friends who've come to me for help and I've been hit with the details of difficulty and struggle far beyond anything I could have predicted. Privatism is not just practiced by the lonely unbeliever, it's rampant in the church as well. Now, of course, none of us can share the intimate details of our lives with everybody. If we try and share all our intimate secrets with everybody, we're just going to end up even more damaged and hurt by that too. But there are far too many of us who have no one who we can be truly honest with. And no one who we allow to get close enough to us to speak some honest words into our life. Wherever they be to someone like Margaret, I'm not sure going on the X Factor is the right move for you. Or whether it be to the friend that I had in London, that dear lady, to say, you're really struggling with grief. You're not getting out of this. You need to get some help. We have to open our eyes to allow people to be candid and honest with us. So why is it that we don't do this? Why is it that we don't like to reveal what's really going on in our lives. Maybe it's because when we look at others, we think, well, they've got it all sorted. Their life's completely under control. I can't share my problems with them. But of course, it's all an illusion. And we find that we're all wearing some form of mask, covering up what's really going on. The Bible is clear that we're all deeply flawed human beings. We live in a broken world and every single one of us here will be wrestling with some sin or another. will be wrestling with some form of suffering or another. And if we really understood how honest the Bible is about how broken we are as human beings, we'd be much more prepared to say, actually, none of us have got it sorted. I need help at times. That person, even though they look like they've got it nailed, they need help at times as well. I say again, we can't let everybody into the most intimate details of our lives, but we need one or two who we allow to come close and speak honest words of truth to us. I read of a Christian pastor this week who when his church members come to see him, he asks them a question. The question is this, if you were the devil, Where would you direct your attack against yourself? If you were the devil, where would you direct your attack against yourself? And once his church members have sat there in front of him and thought about where they're most vulnerable and the greatest weaknesses in their life, he then says to them, that's the thing that you need a close friend to know about. That's the thing that you need somebody to be there to watch out for you, to look after you, to say, how's it going? How are you doing at the moment? Now, I don't know what that would be for us tonight. It'll be something different for all of us, and it's very personal. But it might be an unresolved grief that you you just haven't been able to deal with. It might be a sense of low self-esteem, a lack of confidence. It might be anxiety. It might be a form of temptation, whatever form that comes, money, sex, power, any other form of idols in your life. It might be anger. 
It might be a very new or a very shallow faith, full of doubts and questions. But whatever it is, where you are weak, where you are most vulnerable, that's where you need to have somebody who knows and can say, how are you doing at the moment? Who will watch out for us, who will speak honest words into our lives. I want to, at this point, pause and ask to think, what is the goal of friendship? What is the goal of a Christian friendship? What are we trying to achieve? The goal of Christian friendship is not just having a good time. It's not just many happy hours of socialising over a cup of tea. The goal of Christian friendship is nothing less than helping our friends to become better than they already are. To become more like Jesus today than they were yesterday. To take another step forward on their journey towards God. And Gordon MacDonald wrote this about Christian friendship. He said what the goal was. He said this. There is a certain niceness to a friendship where I can be, as they say, myself. But what I really need are relationships in which I will be encouraged to become better than myself. Myself needs to grow a little every day. I don't want to be the myself I was yesterday. I want to be the myself that is developing each day to be more of a Christ-like person. Do you understand what he's saying? As Christians, we're on this journey of being transformed to be like Jesus. So that one day when we get there and we see him face to face, we're going to be like him. That's the good news. But there's work involved in becoming like that. And we need people to help us day by day to become more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. To have people who will encourage us and pray for us and watch out for us and speak truthful words into our lives. You want to be more like Jesus? Then I suggest you probably want to stop doing that. Well, why don't you try doing this? I'll pray for you. God will give you the strength to deal with that. That's what a candid friend does. Sometimes to be a candid friend will require offering a critique. When I was in my late teens, I became a football fanatic. I used to travel home and away every week to watch my team play. I never missed a game. I spent thousands of pounds in a season watching football. Football dominated my life. It became such an idol to me that the result of the game on a Saturday decided my mood for the rest of the week. Anyway... There was one night, I was standing on the terrace at an FA Cup game. I remember it vividly, we were playing Fulham away. There I was, banging a big drum, starting the chant, supporting my team, fanatical enthusiasm. Only this time, because it was a big game, I'd got a ticket for a friend of mine from church, and he'd come with me. And in the middle of the second half, he leant over to me and he said, Andrew, um, would you be prepared to worship God with the same passion that you worship this football team? because I see you here banging a drum arms in the air singing at the top of your voice and I've seen your face in church and it's not like that (laughs) and and let's just say this was not the critique I wanted to hear in the middle of a game particularly when there were lots of other people around me and particularly when I'd invited him to this game in the first place but I knew he was right and actually I look back and that was one of the biggest moments in me turning my life around at the end of my teenage years because I'd gone way away from God 
And this was one of the key moments where I started coming back towards him. And actually, at that same time, my calling to ministry started to begin. And I realised that actually worshipping God wholeheartedly was going to be for me how I lived my life, the job that I was going to do. And I will never forget that critique. It was by a man named Dave Cooper. And I will always be grateful for it. Sometimes we need to be called out by our friends. And in our reading from Ezekiel, that's exactly the call that we found that he had. Ezekiel was held accountable by God for how he treated the people around him. And at a particularly dark and sinful time in Israel's history, his job was to watch over the people like a watchman, watching over a city at night, looking out for potential attack. And Ezekiel was to warn people of the trouble that was coming towards them. He was to try and wake them up from their apathy and their spiritual sleepiness and their destructive behaviour. He was to try and turn them round. And the passage was blunt, wasn't it? That even righteous people can turn back to sin and fall away. Even righteous people, God's people, need someone who will go and warn them and say, this is the wrong direction, mate. You need to go back that way. And although Ezekiel had a very unique call as a prophet to Israel, called by God for that period of history, we all need an Ezekiel-like figure in our lives. Someone who we really trust, who we know has got our best interests at heart, who will call us out when we're going wrong. They may not say at the time what we want to hear, but it might be what we need to hear. And they might be just saving us from falling away from Jesus now of course that's the extreme Uh, we won't always need that perhaps a candid friendship more often will just look like ongoing loving concern just gentle wise advice maybe it'll be you're facing a big decision are you going to move house are you going to move job are you going to have another child and just it's just a bit of wise advice from somebody you trust but to have somebody in our lives who we know will be honest with us they will be honest Even if, at the beginning, it hurts a little bit. Remember that? Wounds inflicted by a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Hard truths can be sometimes what we need to hear. There's another proverb that says this. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. We need somebody who will give us heartfelt advice. As I said earlier, there is no way that we can have this intimacy with a huge number of people. We would end up just breaking ourselves. We cannot share the intimate details of our lives with a lot of people. It's going to happen with just one or two very close friends. It's also not going to happen with people who won't give us good advice. Maybe people who live with a different moral standard or a different moral code to us. So what that means is that the place to find these candid friends is always going to be within the church. Friends in church who believe the same thing and are on the same journey and who are also trying to become more like Jesus are the people we need to speak into our lives. People who we can trust to speak wise advice. 
And in that regard, ministry is not just done by the preacher at the front giving a sermon. Ministry is done by all of us. We minister to one another by speaking and caring and guiding one another towards Jesus. And that's what the opening verse of our service was about. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs. We encourage our friends. We remind them of the promises of scripture. Look, I think you've got that wrong, but God will forgive you. He promises that. He promises he'll give you a new start. Okay, you messed up. I get it. God will give you a new start. Keep going. Maybe as we gather to sing and worship and remind ourselves of what Christ has done, that it gives us the courage to keep going. Speaking the truth to one another. And so I want to finish with this final verse from Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes this. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As Christians, we need friends. We cannot do it alone. And with one or two, we've got to be open enough that they can speak honest words into our lives. And we too, maybe, return the favour to them. Let us grow to be more like Jesus every day. And let us grow together as friends. Let's pray.